You can't ride in my little red wagon. You can't ride in my little red wagon. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Chugga, 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 chugga. Suck it, verse, suck it, verse. A whole lot louder and a whole lot. What's up, y'all? This is Nick Bartlett. I'm a broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer over at OregonSportsNews.com. And I've had over 50 articles featured in the Seattle Post-Intelliger. And this is going to be a Sports Pack 12 original, The Nick Bartlett Show. So this is going to be a run-of-the-mill sports show talking about Pac-12, hot topics of the week. And one thing I want to stress is that I'm not much different than you guys. Seriously, I work a day job. My opinion is no more valuable than yours. And I'm just grateful for your viewership, your listenership. And without further ado, let's get straight to some Pac-12 action. Thanks for tuning in. We are only one week away from Pac-12 football. One week away. Welcome back to the Nick Barlett Show, everybody. It is finally time. If you didn't get it by my excited, stoic introduction, seven days, one week away from watching your West Coast Premier Conference hit the field for some gridiron action, and oh boy, is it about time. Feels like we've been waiting longer than normal. Oh wait, we have. But anyways, I am really freaking excited. I'm going to do my best here to curb my anticipation and focus on the facts and get into today's episode. So on this frightful Halloween weekend, we're going to finish our schedule breakdown with ASU, Cal, and Oregon State, and we'll switch over and end today's show with Bartlett's random topic of the day, where I will make my pick for who will win the conference this season. We got a lot to talk about, straight football, random topic football today, football's back, let's get straight to it. So Starting with our schedule breakdown, we're going to be looking at ASU. The Sun Devils are another one of those teams whose schedule is extremely front-loaded. Their opening two games should prove a good barometer of how far along ASU's program really is. They've improved slightly ever since Herm Edwards took over as coach, but not by enough where the program can be considered elite, and this is the year really to change their reputation. They open up the season against USC, which will be an immediate test of how good their defense really is. Last year, they only allowed 22.4 points per game, which was good for 35th in the nation. They'll need to continue this trend if they'd like to knock off the Trojans. Jaden Daniels has shown that he can make game-winning plays in crunch time, so if the defense keeps it close, they really could pull off a small upset here. And, I mean, Jaden Daniels last year, he did it against WSU, he did it against Michigan State, and he did it against someone else who I'm kind of blanket on right now. So seriously, three fourth quarter, kind of close it out, game-winning drives, you want to call it that. Bottom line, he won three clutch games. Keep it close, ASU's a chance. UC is going to score a lot of points fueled by the passing attack of Keaton Slovis, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Tyler Vaughns. That's pretty obvious. So ASU's job here is to try and stay as close as possible and steal this one to end. I think Herman Edwards' NFL experience should prove pivotal in preparation against Graham Harrell's offensive system. This should really be a fun one. And in regards to the coordinator battle, if you're looking how Mike Leach right now is faring down the SEC, we'll see with a guy like Herm Edwards and NFL experience, you know, a spread offense isn't gimmicky per se, but 
Herm Edwards probably has something to make it difficult. I'll leave it at that. Most media outlets probably project USC as the South Division champs and ASU as the runner-up. So opening the season in LA may not be ideal, but it's a huge opportunity for Sun Devil Nation. That's for darn sure. Circle this one. Game one, baby. Showcase the two of the three finest teams in the South. Never going to count out Utah. Still the two-time defending champs in that division. In the Devils' next contest, they travel home to face the Cal Golden Bears in a matchup that should prove a defensive battle. This is another one of those 50-50 games between two teams trying to reach that elite tier in the Pac-12. Cal and ASU, very comparable. And with the exception of the UW-UO contest, I expect this matchup to be one of the most physical games of the season. Expect a low-scoring, grinded-out affair in which every yard will really be hard-earned. And another kind of point to emphasis here for this game, Chase Garbers versus Jane Daniels is another great short, uh, showcase at the quarterback position. Even though Cal center caller Garbers may receive less notoriety, people seem to forget that he was undefeated as a starter last year, so do not forget that name. Bottom line is, Sun Devils need to come out of the opening two games with at least a 1-1 one one record. A win against USC would be extremely, extremely helpful because they'd hold the tiebreaker in the shortened season, and this would ultimately allow them to stumble against Cal while still maintaining the South lead. After the difficult pair of matchups, the Sun Devils travel to Boulder to face the Buffs in a game that should be a comfortable win. ASU's defense will be too strong for CU, and Jaden Daniels will make enough plays to cruise to a really comfortable victory. Even though ASU's line is unproving, losing five key pieces from last year's rotation, Colorado doesn't have enough on the D-line with the exception of Mustafa Johnson to really cause Daniels any problems. Sun Devils will win by my infamous quote of comfortably but not easily. It is still a road game in the thin Rocky Mountain air, and it's still a Pac-12 team, so I'm not going to sell the buff short. I mean, they're probably not going to be good, but I mean, ASU's going to win. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> game four will prove another tough South test as ASU hosts Utah. I think the Sun Devils get it done in this one as well. And while the Utes are never an easy out under head coach Kyle Whittingham, they lost too much talent. They're on the road, and ASU will be well prepared due to their opening two matchups. Rounding out ASU slate, they host UCLA in game number five and travel to Tucson for the Territorial Cup to finish out their season. I'd expect both of these games to be easy victories, but as always, with that being said, anything can happen in a rivalry game, and especially since the game is in Tucson. Unlikely that we'll see fans back in the stands at that point with the rising numbers around the country, but anything's possible, and if for some reason fans are allowed in Tucson, then that game becomes much more difficult. Looking at the Sun Devil slate in its totality, the Pac-12 definitely, I mean, definitely front load their schedule, which could really prove disastrous for ASU. But on the other hand, and this is a big on the other side of the coin here, it really could be the set of games that defines the Sun Devil program going forward. If they start off 2-0, they should win the South. That was a weird transition. I kind of want to go back to that previous statement here. So it's like, if the Sun Devils start off the season with a victory against USC and Cal... Herm Edwards has now changed the face of the program, and he hasn't necessarily done that yet. There's obviously a lot of excitement around the program. He's a great coach, and they have a great, great young stud quarterback in Jane Daniels, but 8-5 and five is still the best record they've put under him. I believe the previous coach, his name's like Todd Graham. I'm not, don't quote me on the name. I believe their best record was 7-6 and six under him, so... He's not necessarily transformed the program as much as 
people may think. Anyways, done with that point. If they start off 2-0, they should win the South. 1-1, they have a chance. And 0-2, they are absolutely screwed. If I was an ASU fan, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really appreciate the schedule. But I mean, from my perspective, just as a Pac-12 fan, consensus fan, I think this creates two very interesting games to open the season. And I'm excited to watch that. That's for sure. It should be, should be a lot of fun right off the bat. The Sun Devils kind of look very, very quick look, you know, breaking down their team. The Sun Devils should have a solid defense and a very solid quarterback, which will likely give them a chance to compete in every game. However, they do need skill position players and the offensive line to step up if they're going to reach the conference championship. In terms of wideouts, they should have a couple names. I believe Darby's one of them. And the offensive line, that's going to be the big question mark. They lost five key pieces from last year. And this was a unit who gave up a lot of sacks. So should be very interesting to see how the offensive line fares. Sticking with the theme of front-loading schedules, the next team we're going to look at is the Cal Golden Bears. And many media outlets believe that the Golden Bears are going to be the runner-up in the North Division this year. And rightfully so. I mean, really, for real, rightfully so. Again, they returned a quarterback and went undefeated as a starter last year in Chase Garbers. They also were returning eight starters on the defensive side of the ball, replacing their two starting safeties, along with Pac-12 first-team linebacker and Evan Weaver. And I do want to note here, though, this was before the whole pandemic, opt-ins, opt-outs, transfers, bar fights, and incoming players even arrived on campus. And for me to say that I followed every single one of these player changes would be complete BS. I mean, sorry, y'all. I seriously, I do not chug Red Bulls and stay up all night. That's just not my style. I value my sleep. But one thing I really do feel confident saying is that a Justin Wilcox defense really should be solid. And they'll be returning many key pieces, which could prove an advantage given the shortened season. And one very notable opt-in is that star cornerback Cameron Bynum, of course, did opt back in, which should really help their case. I mean, really, really help their case. I guess I pensioned, <laughs> I guess I paid attention to some of the opt-ins. J- JK, JK. <laughs> Anyways, looking at their schedule, they open up the year in a pivotal matchup against Washington, which we touched on last week. I think it'll be close, but UW remembers losing to the Golden Bears the last two years and is not going to happen again. Thus, he's hold the slight talent edge, and it'll be enough to decide the outcome of the game. The following week, they travel to Tempe to face the Sun Devils in another matchup. This is a 50-50 contest, which could swing either way. I don't feel confident in picking a winner in this one, and that's all I'm going to say. Really hope you are paying attention five minutes ago when I just broke down this game. In game number three, they travel to Corvallis to beat the Beavs. I was going to say play OSU, but I guess I had a Freudian slip there. <laughs> Seriously, guys, when I was typing up my notes, I was like trying to write play the Beavs, and I just wrote beat the Beavs and rolled with it. But this is one of those games, anywho, this is one of those games where the opt-in of Cameron Bynum could prove huge. The Beavers had a lot of speed at the wide opposition, and being able to eliminate one of those options could prove vital in securing a victory. I also think Cal's halfback, Christopher Brown Jr., could have a good game in this matchup. The Bears feature a dangerous linebacking core led by Hamilcar Rashad Jr. But for some reason, I think Cal's O-line will dominate the Bees up front. Cal wins by 7 or 10 points. And the Bees seriously do have a very talented linebacking core. Maybe even one of the best in conference. I know that probably surprised a lot of people. But I just have this weird feeling that Cal is going to dominate up front. Not sure why. Anyways, like I said, Cal wins by 7 or 10 points. In the fourth game of the year, Cal hosts their rival Stanford. 
And when dissecting the Cardinal schedule last week, I discussed how this game is everything for the Stanford, or excuse me, for the Cardinal. However, for Cal, it's just not quite as important. I think that the week one matchup versus Washington will be a lot more indicative of how their campaign will go. They already started to develop a reputation in the Bay, and a loss in this contest won't doom their program for sure by any means necessary. I don't know why I said that was such a weird inflection. My voice just cracked there like I was going through puberty, and it completely threw me off. I did not know as a 30-year-old man that your voice can crack. All right, guys. Getting getting a little bit too random. I'm going to get back to football. Maybe I'm compensating since the random topic of the day is about football, so maybe it's like natural flow of randomness. Anyways, I do want to get back to the schedule and tone it down just a tiny bit, just a tid, tid, tiny bit. So, seriously... Cal's already started to develop your reputation in the Bay, and a loss in this contest is not going to doom their program. Under Wilcox, they've had back-to-back winning seasons for the first time since 08-09, and locals probably also remember the fact that they rose to 15th in the nation last year before losing Garbers to a shoulder injury. And in regards to the actual game, I'd have to see both teams in action before, comfort- before I feel comfortable picking this contest. So that I'm kind of just got to wait and see. Really, I'm waiting on Stanford. I really want to see how they look this year. To round out their campaign, going back to Cal, they face two vastly different challenges as they host Oregon before traveling to Pullman to finish their slate against the Cougs. I'd expect them to lose to Oregon because they don't have enough talent. I mean, seriously, the Golden Bears are very well coached, but they'll struggle to move the ball against the Ducks' complete defense. If Cal can find one real deep threat, like a wide receiver who can run a 4-3 type thing, they'll stand a chance this contest. But I just really don't believe they have that guy in their roster and even if they do, Oregon is track down you uh, is a track down USA, so they probably have someone who can match that speed. So without a true man beater, no one who can kind of create separation against the Ducks' coverage, it's going to allow you to crowd the box and stop the run, leading to Cal's eventual demise. I do think that the Golden Bears' defense will be enough to hold down you for a little bit, but at some point the dam will break and the flood will ensue. Oregon wins comfortably. This is not one of those comfortably, not easily things. It's just very comfortably. In the final game of the year, I think that Cal wins a tough battle with the Cougs. This is one of those affairs where the Golden Bears really benefit by playing WSU after the Ducks. The Cougs will be rearing for a victory in the final game of the year, but ultimately I think Cal wins by a slow ball control style attack. This one can prove a nail biter, but I think Cal edges them out in the end. This is one of those games where it's kind of matchup of styles. You got WSU's run and shoot offense will not throw as much as Mike Leach. The splits are going to be more like 67 33 in terms of passing and obviously Cal should have a nice kind of defensive led team with a very smart quarterback and Christopher Brown Jr. albeit not an elite running back is a difficult tackle and can definitely make some plays. I don't want to knock Christopher Brown Jr. but when you're comparing him to CJ Verdell or Jamar Jefferson or even WC's Max Borgie just not in the same caliber at least not yet. So that's it for the Bears. I mean, the bottom line looking at their program is that they have improved tenfold under Wilcox, but not enough to surpass the big dogs in the North in Washington and Oregon. And really, I mean, the schedule makers did not do them any favors with matchups against UW, ASU, Oregon, and to a lesser degree at Oregon State, at WSU, and hosting Stanford. They literally do not have one gimme on their schedule. And that may seem like a small thing, but this isn't the NFL as much as I love the Pac-12 football. These guys could usually use, you know, a tune-up game. It's like a Sacramento State or something like that. I mean, at Oregon State, at WCU and hosting your rival, none of those are going to be easy and necessarily 
a game where you can grab your footing or that sort of thing. Hopping over to our final team of our four-week 12-team schedule analysis. The last team we're going to talk about here is the Oregon State Beavers. I've actually had a lot of fun kind of refamiliarizing myself with a lot of the information about the teams. So this is the final team. Had a lot of fun doing this over the last four weeks. But let's get right to the Beavs right now. Again, the schedule makers didn't do the Beavs any favors as they arguably have the toughest schedule in the entire conference. This shortened season could prove tough for OSU, especially considering their remarkable turnaround last year under head coach Jonathan Smith, quarterback Jake Luton, and wideout Isaiah Hodgins. What I mean by that is they were so close and so good last year, and I just don't see it really turning out that way this year. I mean, they were one questionable fourth down call away from making a bowl game in 2018-19. I think a lot of people forget that. And, I mean, it's just tough. Sometimes aggressiveness backfires. That game, it would really is a tough coach for or a tough call by Jonathan Smith. I respect the aggressiveness, but that one call could really kind of hurt his reputation in the program for a long time. There's no other way to say it. I mean, this year could really, really prove tough. Um, I'm talking about the game against WSU last year and no smoother transition. So, again, talking about the missed fourth down conversion and the call last year on the Cougs keeping OSU from a bowl game. Hopping back now to this season, that again, that was kind of <laughs> just tough, tough, tough. But looking ahead now, that season's over. Looking to this year, again, now the Beavs open up this year hosting the Cougs, and it'll be a pivotal game for both programs. I broke down this matchup a couple weeks ago, but a couple quick refresher notes. First off, OSU and WSU are very similar programs as they lack physicality in the trenches, but they do have a lot of unrecognized talent at the skill position players. In this matchup, I think the Beavs get it done against the Cougs because of the, familiar, because of the familiarity of their program. And even though they're breaking in a new quarterback in Tristan Jebbia, who I actually really like, he did play against the Ducks last year, which gives him vital in-game experience in a meaningful matchup. Does not get much bigger than playing a rival and a top-tier team like Oregon. The Cougs are replacing a head coach and a quarterback, which will prove too much to overcome on the road. Bees win in a fun shootout. And if you guys like offense, tune in this game. High-scoring affair last year, as I just mentioned, with the blown fourth down call. And this year, you'd expect a lot of fireworks again. The next match of the year, OSU travels to Seattle to take on the Huskies. In my opinion, there's no way the Beavs have any chance in this matchup. Even though Oregon State is a very solid group of returning receivers into Ron Bradford, Colby Taylor, and Champ Flemings, they'll not be able to move the ball against the Huskies' Vaughn in secondary. Last year, their offense got destroyed by the Huskies' defense with Isaiah Hodgins and Jake Luton still on the roster. And the Beavs lost these key pieces while UW is not. Washington wins easily. I think Washington just really out-physicals them and destroys them from start to finish. The next matchup on their slate doesn't get much more favorable as they host the Cal Golden Bears. And apparently this game was at 4 a.m. on the schedule I was looking at. <laughs> Told you I'd be serious, so I'll do it. Anyways, playing UW before the Cal matchup, and I guess one obvious note, they're not playing at 4 a.m., guys. If you believe that, I'm sorry for you. Anyways, playing UW before the Cal matchup could really hurt the Beavs in multiple facets. First off, they'll be beat up physically by the Dogs. And they follow that up against another respective defense in the Golden Bears. This doesn't bode well for the Beavs. And on top of that, UW may show the Pac-12 the blueprint to stopping OSU speedy receivers. Even though Cal's secondary isn't as talented as the Dogs, they're still extremely formidable. And with the right scheme, they can disrupt the Beavers' passing attack. And as good as the Beavs' trio of receivers are, again, they lost Hodgins. And it's going to show in games like these. 
The other wideouts may be talented, but they're not Hodgins. You just cannot replace a guy like that. Wins in one-on-one coverage every single time. They may have speedsters, but they don't have a guy like him anymore. Cal wins comfortably close. The next matchup is an unnamed rivalry game versus the Ducks. Not too much analysis here. Ducks too big, too fast, too talented. And by this point of the season, it's likely your quarterback Tyler Shuck or whoever the starter may be. They actually haven't named that yet. It's likely whoever the starter will be that found their rhythm to some degree. And even with all the opt-outs, you'll not lose the Beavs. Obviously, since the rivalry game, got to include the caveat that, you know, OSU could pull it out. Anything can happen. And it really can. I mean that in a rivalry game, but OSU chances are very slim. Ducks win by at least two touchdowns. So, look, kind of, let's take a step back here and realize that three out of the first four games on the Beavers schedule are against UW, Cal, and UO. Really does not get much more difficult than that. And they must beat the Cougs to open the season or else they're doomed. Again, games two, three, and four, you dub Cal and their rival Oregon. That is, ouch, that's that's tough. Continuing on to game five, OSU slate remains difficult as they travel to Salt Lake City to face the two-time defending South champs in the Utes. And this is actually one of those matchups where I think the Beavs could pull off the upset. As I stated in an earlier show, the Utes lost some of their fans and this, most notably the student section, the Musk. And I believe this hurts their team or program more than it affect any other team in the conference. That was not a smoothly read sentence. <laughs> Let me reread that one. So essentially, I think that the Utes losing their fan base, it gives the Beavs a shot to win. On top of that, Utah lost an immense amount of talent. If OSU can get their running game going by and star halfback Jamar Jefferson, they actually have a chance of pulling off the upset. The Utes usually have a great defensive line and keeping them off balance should give Jebbia just enough time to find his wideouts in space. Again, this is just another one of those matchups that I find really intriguing. May not be like the game you circle on your schedule, but I just think it's a good matchup. Again, nice clash of styles. OSU kind of random, frantic, big play offense. I don't mean to call them frantic, but big play lack maybe that consistency where Utah slow grinded out. Love a contradiction of styles. Contradiction of styles make good fights, and they also make for good football games as well. So I'm not saying that OSU is going to win this game, because I did pick Utah on an earlier show, so I do want to stick with that selection. But do not count out OSU. They could definitely pull this one off. Again, picking Utah, but do not count out OSU. The final game of the year is a road contest against the Cardinal. And Stanford wins this game due to their rebuilt offense line. But again, do not sell the Beavers short. They're a talented group. Just really unfortunate that they've won the most dif- difficult schedules in recent memory. I mean, arguably the most difficult in the conference. The Beavs offense, kind of the quick recap of the team here. The Beavs offense should be solid, and they do have a great linebacking core led behind Hamilcar Rashid Jr. However, it's just not enough to overcome the difficult slate of games. I mean, if they don't beat the Cougs in week number one, they could very realistically find themselves 0-4 like before you even felt like the season started. I mean, normally three games is just your non-conference schedule, but you start off 0-3 or, excuse me, 0-4 this year. You're in, you're in a world of hurt. So, Circle that game against WSU. That is really everything for them. Very, very, very important week one matchup. In a best case scenario, they have the potential to finish 3-3 three and three with wins against WSU, Utah, and Stanford. But I'd guess they finish 2-4 and four and maybe even 1-5. Probably 1-5. Looking at Bartlett's random topic of the day. Not really that random. The only thing that makes it random is that I am picking... A conference winner on October 30th. I'm recording the show on Friday night this week. And what the? I should have done this two months ago. 
Anyways, so let's get to it. It's time to pick our conference winner. I've been waiting for this. You've been waiting for this. And I am sure as hell about to piss someone off because usually happens that way. So let's get to it. If you've been rocking with me since the mailbag question days, then you probably already know who I picked before this whole pandemic hit and changed virtually everything. And while there have been many changes to every program due to the pandemic and all the corresponding events, you know, it could have swayed my selection a little bit. You know, every program's changed. Like I mentioned, transfers, opt-outs, opt-ins, uneven practice schedules, some teams not even really getting clearance to practice until very, very recently. So, you know, you'd think I'd probably change my selection. But no, I'm sticking with the same damn team I picked in the spring. And if you've been rocking me since the mailbag question days, you already know who I'm talking about. I think there's been one team who's been overlooked the entirety of the offseason, and that team is the Washington Huskies. Yeah, you heard me right. The freaking dogs. And guys, if you don't know by now, I went to WSU. So you got to understand, this probably wasn't the easiest selection for me to make. It's for damn sure. Sorry, Cougs. <laughs> but seriously, so kind of analyzing UW and, while I, and why I feel this way about them, there's still an enormous amount of talent on that team in a low-pressure situation, which creates a very favorable environment for winning a frick ton of football games. And I don't really think people realize how much talent is actually on their roster. I mean, looking at their recruiting classes over the last three years, they have the second best class in conference in 2020, the second best class in the Pac-12 in 2019, and the third best in 2018. Their class the year before in 2017, going back four years now, was slightly worse at fifth, but features standouts like current NFL players Hunter Bryant and Salvan Ahmed, and current All-Pac-12 first-teamer defensive back in Elijah Molden. And huge for me, huge, huge. I think that losing Jacob Easton, the best thing that happened in their program, I believe he was a cancer on the field and losing him is just the biggest benefit. I know a lot of people don't see it that way. Some people may think it's crazy. I really don't have to explain myself to you, but if you just follow stats, maybe you don't understand this. If you actually watch football, you'd understand why he's not a good quarterback. Just had very untimely interceptions, including a huge one against Utah, pick six, cost him a game last year. Couldn't get it done against Oregon in a very close game again. And against the Beavers last year through another terrible pick six. Had many other questionable losses. And he threw like screens 700 miles per hour. Just lacked all the intangibles. Yeah, at college level, you can survive off of pure physical attributes as he did and won the starting job and put up great statistics. But in terms of winning football, he's not the man. There's a reason he's not getting an opportunity on Sundays. And him being gone is... The best freaking thing that ever happened to UW's program. I think that is huge. And their defense is obviously going to be dominant under Jimmy Lake. They started so many freshmen last year. The majority of their defense last year is underclassmen. All these guys come back. If you didn't know, Jimmy Lake is the new head coach of the Huskies. And he previously was the defensive coordinator. So those teams that have been murdering your respective, basically, program for the last couple of years, that defensive coordinator is now the head coach. That physicality is tough. And I said this about three or four months ago, with the exception of last year, if you said that you were looking forward to playing the Huskies, your respective program, you're lying. You did not want to play the dogs. You knew they're going to beat the shit out of you physically and then score a lot of points. 
This is when Jake Browning was there. Obviously, he's more of a game manager. Maybe not a lot of points, but enough points to win a game. Anyways, that is why I think that Washington is going to be very, very good this year and surprise a lot of people and win the conference. Majorly because their defense could be the best in conference, specifically with Oregon's opt-outs. They were right there neck and neck beforehand, but now I think they may actually be better in an offense, they can only get better because Jacob Easton could not run the style of offense needed for a ball control defensive oriented team. That's how I feel. Can you tell? Okay. Um, I know a lot of people think USC and Oregon will win the conference and I do respect that opinion. So I'm going to very briefly dissect these teams. Very brief. We've been going for 27 minutes. I may be running out of breath. I don't know if I can talk anymore. My chest may be hurting. I don't even smoke anymore. It's not college anymore. (laughs) Okay, guys, <laughs> let's finish it out. Uh, I have to get some ran. We've been serious for a while, guys. We've been serious for a while. So again, do think UW is going to win the conference, but I want to talk about USC and Oregon. So looking at USC, until the Trojan defense decides to show up, I just don't feel comfortable picking them. They had the 78th worst defense in the nation last year, allowing 29.4 points per game. And I do respect the spread offense, but I think that the Pac-12 may have better defenses collectively, as people may realize and that someone's going to be able to stop Graham Harrell's offense. I'm thinking Herm Edwards in game one may be able to get it done. That's a man, not a guarantee. In regards to the Oregon loss of Panay Sewell, I mean, like, does this really need to be explained? This is going to hurt the offense more than anybody can imagine. The Ducks are still extremely talented, and I want Oregon fans to hear this. The Ducks are still extremely talented, okay? The Ducks are still extremely talented, okay? Okay. But seriously, losing an all-world talent like Panessa Wool, I mean, that's impossible to replace. That's not some, like, crap. You can just throw in a couple of makeshift high-star recruits. That's a once-in-a-decade type talent. Top five upcoming pick in the NFL draft, maybe number one. You're not going to be able to replace that. I also think that Tyler Shuck, or whoever the starter may be, I'm still thinking it's probably going to be Shuck. You know, sometimes coaches like to keep that under wraps. But whoever it may be, they're seriously walking into a no-win situation. They're replacing Justin Herbert, who revitalized the program, won a Rose Bowl, and is now obviously excelling in the NFL. I mean, those are big shoes to fill. Herbert was an absolute stud for Oregon. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on them, especially since the Ducks just won a Rose Bowl. I mean, Oregon fans are great fans. They're loud. They're awesome. But they expect greatness. And whoever comes in, if they lose a game, that pressure is going to be felt very quickly, like almost immediately. Whoever Washington's quarterback may be on the other end, not going to be under that pressure because they didn't have a good year last year. So it's really going to make for an easier situation for Washington. I don't know if Washington is the most talented team top to bottom, but they're just in the right set of circumstances, the right fit, the right situation. And I think the pandemic may actually have helped them a lot more than other teams in conference. I think I believe they only lost one very notable player that I can think of um, defensive tackle Levi Onzerike. I'm not sure if he opted back in. Told you I haven't followed every single one of these guys. But last I heard, he did opt out. If he opts back in, even further my argument. So, dogs from the pack, baby. All right, guys. Whoo, catch my breath. That was 30 minutes of football. Told you I was excited. Started off, started off with so much energy. Wow, man, got the excitement out. Okay. All right, guys. So in conclusion, seriously, thank you for tuning in as always, guys. Couldn't do it without you. I really, really do appreciate it. 
Should be a heck of a lot of fun getting the season underway. It's finally time. It is finally time for Pac-12 football. Something about it always was my favorite conference as a kid. Obviously, went to a Pac-12 school, and I was gotten older. I love the NFL. I love the Seahawks. But there's something about Pac-12 football that's special. College football that's special. And I'm just excited. I'm excited, man. I, I, I wanted to say I got chills. I didn't. Maybe like a bug bit me or something. Bottom line is I am very excited. Quickly recapping today's episode. We talked about, or excuse me, we dissected ASU, Cal, and Oregon State's respective schedules. And I picked my conference winner. And that is going to be UW. No more long conclusion. Let's just say I am ready for some football. Next time I'm talking to you, we will have some Gosh darn freaking real games to talk about. I'm out. Cheetos and Tuna.